0: My one thing today is that racial tension ends when we take responsibility for what lives inside of us. And there are things that live inside of us because of where you grew up, who your family is, that we as followers of Jesus have to deal with directly, and that's what we're going to attempt today. And I just want to make a statement before I get into the rest because. Um, I have no intentions of talking political stuff or any of the other stuff that's going on, but I do want to make it as clear as possible um, that George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery should still be alive, period. Um, And it breaks my heart Um, Um, for what our country is literally going through right now. Um, And I I want to, today, try to work through a gospel response for us. So um, I'm probably going to do a little bit more reading, and I definitely will have no humor today. No baby Jesus taking his first step or any of that stuff. If You were here last week. So here here you go. So you may have missed this, uh, but our country is hurting, angry, and at a boiling point. You may be indifferent to it, you may be enraged by it, or you may be stoking the fire. None of those things will fix what is broken. Today, I'm going to try my best to humbly walk through a gospel response to the open wound our country is facing. And no, it will not be resolved quickly, but it is something that we have to start working towards the root of this like every other problem we face is sin and the brokenness that entered and invaded our world when it entered and occupied the hearts of man period and there is but one place that we find freedom to walk forward and find healing and his name unequivocally is jesus he was and is the only man that walked in complete freedom. And that freedom allowed him to love all people the same, which we'll see. And my hope today is that seeing his heart will and should shape ours. And so here's the tension. It's something you'll hear me say again. Is disciples, which is why we're here, we're in a church, um, and whether you are or aren't, that's the mission of the church, is to make disciples, plain and simple. There's no argument about that. That was his great commission, to go and make disciples. And disciples, and this might be a revelation to you, that's somewhat a joke, disciples follow the lead of their master. And here's the question that you have to ask yourself over and over again, especially as you respond, even internally, because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we allow to stay in us will eventually come out, even if it's only internally, but it'll work its way into the way we think, which will work its way into the way we act. So here's the question. Who is your master? Because our actions show who we are obeying. Our reactions show who we're obeying. It's something that we as disciples spend the rest of our life. And this is not a one-time, like, oh, I'm now a disciple and I'm perfect. This is a surrender daily to this humbly going, I cannot, you can, help me see my insufficiencies. And this just isn't in just this area, this is in all others. And So before we get into the Word, I'm going to pray, because without the Holy Spirit, uh, we are, and I am, lost and unable to move forward. So we want the Holy Spirit to help us see what is hidden in us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, I am grateful that you didn't leave us here blindly thinking um, or having to anticipate what you think or feel or experience or what you went through, but we see that in your word, and I pray that your word today, as we look at how you lived here on this planet, that we would see it as truth to us that we would see it that if our master does that it is our responsibility to follow suit in acting and responding the same way so open our eyes open our hearts Lord, I pray that right now even as we speak that you would pinpoint that you would laser focus things that are wrong in our life the sin that we so easily allow to entangle in our life and, and ruin and rob our joy and peace, Lord, I pray that you would point it out. And that by the power of your grace and mercy, by the power of repentance and laying that over, Lord, we would see freedom. Freedom to respond correctly. Amen. So under, understand this. Um, this is not the totality of the conversation. I'm not going to answer um, nor respond to everything that needs to be talked about or go through because I don't have enough time um, to do so, and I don't think we have enough time in our lifetimes to deal with everything that needs to be dealt with and talked about. But this is the beginning of a conversation, which is one of the things I'm going to end with and say that this conversation needs to continue with us. And so there's three things that I'm going to point out that Jesus did. And he did lots of other things that we could help us relate to what's going on, help us walk forward. But the three things that I think if we see he did these things, we need to move in this way. We need to act like he acted. And if we respond correctly in these three areas, I think our world will change. I think our family will change. I think our family. Cities will change. Our neighborhoods will change. Our workplaces will change. And I'll tell you what they are, and then we'll go through them, um, where I'll show you in the text that he did these things. One is that Jesus went to uh, intentionally engage with people that were vastly different than him, which we'll look at that. Um, Jesus empathized with people. And that's all throughout the gospel. And Jesus walked in. And lived in a state of forgiveness uh, for what happened directly to him, which we'll talk about that in the point. So the first one is Jesus went to intentionally to engage with people that were different to him. And one of the plainest examples, and there's lots of them, because he did things that were unacceptable for people of his position of being a rabbi that he shouldn't do because they were, they were allowed to ostracize themselves from whole people groups. They were allowed to think a certain way about the Samaritans because they were a people in their mind that were separated from the grace of God. They were a people that in their mind it was socially acceptable for them to talk about them, to completely avoid them, to be malicious towards them. And Jesus, it, surprisingly enough, did not avoid uh, entering into conversations with people that others, which we'll see in the text today, go, why are you doing this? And so, if you're familiar with the text, Jesus intentionally goes through a Samaritan City, uh, intentionally, which is pretty impressive because most Jews of the day would intentionally avoid the cities. They would walk miles and miles. Like, this isn't like I'm avoiding a city and I'm going to drive around it. I'm talking about foot, path, walking around, going 10, 20, 30 miles out of their way so they wouldn't have to even go through a city. And Jesus goes, surprisingly, right through a Samaritan city. Oh, I'm a little hungry. Disciples, go get me something to eat. They venture off to find him food. And oh, Jesus is there by himself and has an encounter with a woman which wasn't socially acceptable, just for the record, and and was a Samaritan, When she pointed it out to him. Why are you asking for water? Because I am a Samaritan, like you a Jew asking me. And so they have this whole conversation. Jesus pinpoints things that are in her life. He doesn't judge her. He tells her, "I, I know you, so much so that when it comes to it, she goes, which we're going to pick up in just a second, and tells all her city, which, just for the record, if, and I know I've taught this before, she was at the well in the middle of the day, and there would be no reason for you to do that unless you were trying to avoid other people. You would go get your water in the morning or the evening when it's cooler. You would not go out in the middle of the day unless you were trying to avoid other people, because they wouldn't be there. And so in John 4, verse 27, it says, Just then his disciples come back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Because they're smart. You don't question in here. Let me, let me just tell you this. You don't question when Jesus does something and goes, like, you shouldn't have done that. We don't have the right to go, maybe he didn't mean to do that. He intended to do everything he did and it was recorded. What we need was recorded for us here. Or, why are you talking with her? They weren't going to say that, but they were thinking it. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come and see the man who told me all that I ever did. Could you imagine someone telling all of your little, I'm aware of all your little dirty secrets. Like, I'm not running to town and telling them, there's a man that tells you everything that you ever did. be like, I'm not going there. Like, oh, no. But she went... Because, and here's why, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Can this be the Messiah? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat That you do not know about. And some of his disciples said to the other, has anyone brought him something to eat? Like, where did he get this food? He sent us to go get him lunch and he's already eaten something? They're clueless, by the way. And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. And let me just tell you, translation, that is your role as a a disciple to do the will of the one who has sent us into the world. His will. Jesus submitted and surrendered to the will of the Father, showing us that we are to do the same exact thing. And then he says this miraculous statement. He says, do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white with harvest. So there's a town of people that are coming to Jesus to see him. And he's going to spend two days with them. The Jews did not think salvation was coming to the Samaritans. And he's telling his disciples, look, the fields are white with harvest. Because the people are coming. And when they looked up and saw the people coming, it wasn't the ones that they thought should be getting the grace of God. But Jesus said, saying... This harvest is here. Jesus went to intentionally, and this is over and over again. He did things. He touched people that was not okay to touch. Lepers, people with ailments. And he, and we've seen this in the Gospels, could heal anybody from anywhere. He did it. He didn't have to touch them, but he touched them. So he went to the next thing, or uh, Jesus cares four people more and this is what we let's let's just and I stole this from somebody wrote his sentence down Jesus cares for people more than he cares for cultural political or religious divides some of our defensiveness is because we feel we need to defend our political stand which is garbage garbage he lifted up and honored those the culture marginalized. This is what he did. There's an interesting guy, and I'm not saying everything he's ever said or ever done is great, so if you go deep diving into his name, don't be like, Heath. There's a guy named Daryl Davis. Maybe you've heard of him. There's a documentary out there, and I don't remember the name of the documentary, sorry. Um, he was a, he's a musician by trade. Um, and since 1983, it has been his mission to befriend Klans members, and he is an, he's a black musician. And since 1983, it has been his mission to befriend Klans members. Partly because when he was 11 years old, he was, um, items were tossed at him while he was in a parade. Um, as a, with other Boy Scouts, he was the only black kid with the group. And they were throwing things at him. And his family, his mom and dad were diplomats. And so he had spent the first 10 years of his life overseas. Had no awareness of racism and came home. And mom and dad had to explain that to him. And at 10 years old, he had this question, which is amazing. How can someone hate me that doesn't know me? In his whole mission, and he has, to his credit, um, and he'll, he won't take credit for it. He was like, I, I didn't convert them. I was just around them. They got to know me, and something changed in them. He has 200 former Klansmen that have left the KKK because of knowing him. Because he was determined that if they know me, they can't hate me. And it's, I, I mean... It, you can Google his name. I think he's has his own uh, website with all kinds of stuff. His the documentary is, um, is crazy. He literally has their 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 robes when they left. They're like he actually asked for them, and he keeps them. Is like this is this is transformation. And so people like Daryl Davis said, just like Martin Luther King said, hate will never overcome hate. We're not going to use hate to overcome anything, but love will. And, and he has this, and his story is so interesting, he has, this, he has this ability to not take offense to what they're saying because he understands that they're only saying this because this is a broken way of thinking that heal by their relationship. And he became really good friends with some people that were like, why in the world? Because he understood that unless they change their perspective, they don't change. Um, The next thing is that Jesus empathized, which is something we need. The dilemma is, um, I'm white. Most of you in this room are white. We have a perspective based on that. Not many of us can empathize what it means to be black in the U.S. right now. We we cannot, because we are not. And we need to understand that when we have empathy, we get to understand what other people are going through. And so Jesus empathized with people that were hurting. He felt their pain. He wasn't trying to guard the the, the protocol. He wasn't trying to like keep his political standing. He was hurting with people were hurting and what was amazing is he hurt with people even when he knew he was going to fix he was going to bring them joy so i don't know if you remember the story of the widow in luke 7 there was a a widow who had her husband's already dead because she's a widow her only son dead her hope of a future was in a casket there was no social security there was no like he was going to be the one that would care for her and 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 take you know, responsibility for her as she got older and he, her only hope, is now dead in a casket and Jesus sees this group going to a tomb and felt compassion so that he stops the funeral possession. Can, Can you imagine this funeral's going down the road and he's like, hey, hey, hey. And maybe they knew who Jesus was. And Jesus walks over to the tomb, which he didn't, I mean, not to the tomb, to the to the casket, which he didn't have to, and he touched it. And he said, wake up. And he set up, and side story, he said some in the Bible it says, and he spoke. The one who set up, and I've said this before too, like, what did he say? Why didn't it record that? I think it would be amazing. But he no, he felt compassion. He was moved by compassion. They weren't his relatives. They weren't. Potentially anyone that he even knew, but he had compassion and that compassion moved him to action. Lazarus, his best friend and long story, he um, hears that he's not doing well. He's sick and he continues his ministry and shows up to um, his hometown um, with him dead for four days in a tomb. And each sister, Mary and Martha, come out to Jesus and said, if you would have been here, he would have been alive. And he'd already told his disciples, he's asleep, we're going to wake him up. And they're like, okay, no big deal. No, 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 he's dead, he tells them, he's dead. But this happened so that people will know who Jesus is. And, you know, Matthew, not Matthew, John 11.35, you're looking to start memorization. Start there. Jesus wept. It's a great place to stay. I have a scripture memorized. You can do it here in this service. And he wept with them, knowing even before Lazarus died that I'm going to allow this and I'm going to raise him from the dead. Even in moments later... They would receive their brother with the greatest joy and hope and excitement. He wept with them because he felt and experienced the pain they were going through, even though in him he knew he was going to fix it. He felt compassion over the crowd that followed him out. And The, the, the 5,000 and the 4,000 and the 4,000 were most likely Gentiles, not the people that the People of God thought he was coming to, but he felt compassion enough for them to go, we're going to feed these people because he understood there was something that they needed. He was going to respond. He felt compassion on the oppressed and the suffering. He touched lepers on purpose. Because he felt, I mean, and what's beautiful about this, and I know it's like, oh, Jesus, Jesus, no, no, no. And he has this conversation with Philip. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You don't know what God thinks and feels? Read about Jesus. Because if we read what Je- if Jesus had empathy, if Jesus expressed this compassion, we're seeing the Father through Jesus. Compassion motivated Jesus's action, and compassion, empathy will motivate our action. And here's the last thing Jesus forgave. Uh, Luke 23:34, after he'd been abused, turned in, imprisoned by his own people, taken, tried, unjustly, whipped, abused, nearly destroyed, heading to the tomb. He says this, Luke. Twenty three thirty four, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus lived a measure of forgiveness that we need, to, we need to strive for. None of us have been whipped, that I know of, with a cat of nine tails, the 39 lashes, that brings you almost to the point of death. None of us have set and experienced the accusation that Jesus did unjustly. None of us have experienced that. And he's saying, if he can say to the Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, it is our responsibility to follow suit. And just just in case you're um, going, ah, you know, this forgiveness. Forgiveness is the hardest thing you'll ever walk in. And if you're married, master it. Because if you can master walking in forgiveness, life will be a whole lot easier in that marriage. Because you you forgive, you let those things go. And, And just so, for those that grew up in the South, for those that grew up reciting the Lord's Prayer every Sunday, you said this, Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our debt, as we also have forgiven our debtors forgive us like we forgive other people we said it over and over again i'm sure i did not know what i was saying no i don't remember a preacher ever telling me like look look, look this is what you're saying when he's telling you how to pray forgive like you want to receive the forgiveness. This is what he's telling us when he's saying for us to pray. Uh, the unforgivable, uh, the unforgiving servant in uh, Matthew eighteen. There was a, a servant that owed millions of dollars, lots and lots of money, money he could never, never, ever, ever repay. And he was forgiven that because he 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 he, um, he begged and pleaded to the master, please. And he let him go and he walked outside and he basically choked out somebody and threw him in prison for the $50 that he owed him. This this minuscule thing. And Matthew, and this is a, write this one down, read it over and over again. It's a scary text in my opinion. And after Jesus says in the story that this, unforgiving servant was thrown into prison until his debt is paid he says this so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart i think a lot of us mouth i forgive you but in here we're not We're not walking in that forgiveness, and forgiveness is something that is not optional for believers. If you are a follower, a disciple of Jesus, walking in and living in a state of experiencing and receiving and giving forgiveness is something that is our requirement, period. So if you're living in unforgiveness, what will happen is unforgiveness will turn into bitterness. Bitterness will become your master. Just like we said earlier, who is your master? You will live out the expectations of your master. If you allow unforgiveness in you, even a little bit, it will work itself out. So here's the three things Are you going? Are you intentionally engaging with people that are different than you because that will change your experience? Are you living in a place of empathy? for people that are hurting without trying to justify your cause or position, but understanding their pain? And are you forgiving like your master? Because if you aren't living those things out, there is something that needs to be addressed in you. And for us to move forward in this, for us to see healing come, uh, it must take place in us first. You must be intentional in what you are doing with what? Those little dark spots inside of you because they won't stay that way. Those little inconsistencies, those little things, those little sin. It has a way of taking control. It has a way of getting a foothold. It has a way of of taking the rest of our life. We go, oh, we're just going to give it this little piece. It's never going to be satisfied with a little piece. In Luke 6, 40 and 41, it says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. That's our, that's our end game. That's where we're going, that we would be like Jesus. And this is in a sex section of judgment, which would be great to reread later. Verse 41, it says, Why do you see... The speck, and this is what we do. Why do we see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own? And so, how is your log? Because he tells them, it's not like we shouldn't judge. We what we should do is judge rightly, and the only way we rightly judge is remove these things from us, so that we can then help our brother. Weigh your heart in the light of the gospel. Where do you need to repent? Repentance is turning away from previous direction, going away the opposite direction for where we heading before. In the New Testament, it's referred to over and over again as renewing your mind. How are you repenting of these things in your life? And I'm going to circle back to that in just a second, but I want two other things that I think we need to... Um, take responsibility for one is we need to have this conversation in our house parents uh, if your kids are over eight years old or if they have access to a electronic device they're seeing it they're hearing it my 16 year old is showing me rioting he's showing me videos of things that are going on and he's asking questions it is our responsibility to have that conversation in our house And the last thing is extend this conversation outside of your background. Outside of your color. Thankfully, by the grace of God, I have a a black friend of mine who pastors a church in Wilmington. And we we became friends because he borrowed our baptismal uh, over and over again. And we got to have lunch. And I got to call him this week and just go, help me. Help me. Communicate. Help me, you know, not be offensive. Help me make sure that I'm understanding things that are being said. And, and I'm grateful that I have people that aren't just like me in my life. I'm grateful that I have people that I can go, please, this is what I'm thinking. Help, help me see things that I'm not thinking with what I'm going to say, and I'm grateful for those. And it it, it changes the way we think when we, just like Daryl Davis, just like when we enter in, it changes our perspective when we get to know people. And people will change their perspective when they get to know us. So I'm going to invite our worship team back up. And my my encouragement for us, and I know we're not going to have our, our prayer people up front, which I hate uh that we don't aren't able to enter into that um, but my call to you sitting in this room is what's going on inside of you how are you responding to what you've seen on social media is there is there anger because Jesus deals with anger with anger if we hate someone in our heart we've already committed murder like that is what's going on are, are there? inconsistencies in you that you need to, in this moment, say, here God, here's what's going on. He's aware. It's not hidden from him. But there's a power of release when we communicate what's going on inside of you. So as we're worshiping, I just encourage you to be honest with God. Walk out of these doors with a greater measure of freedom. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I am thankful for your word. I'm thankful for your example. I'm thankful that you have shown us how to live. And Lord, forgive us for using your name as an identity statement that doesn't reflect itself in how we live. Forgive us for saying that we are your children, but not living like it. Lord, I pray that you would Free us from that inconsistency that we would now in this moment take ownership and live freely in you as we surrender continually to the mercy that you've poured out to us, the forgiveness that you've given us. And I pray out of that that we would be people that forgive much because we understand the forgiveness that you've poured out us and for us in the cross. Thank you for the grace that we have an opportunity to experience because of your sacrifice. Lord, change our hearts so that we can change our city. So that we can see that forward momentum of us seeing the gospel penetrate our own life, so that it can penetrate our neighborhoods and our community and our city in our state, in our country. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.